All right, how's it going, guys? Welcome to another episode of the A10 Talk podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Sam Basil. And uh, today I'm joined by Anthony Morelli to give you guys, you know, the latest scoop on everything going on from some of the best teams in the best conference in college basketball. Anthony, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Sam, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited. We're almost through non-conference schedule, so we've got a little bit of a uh, sample size for our teams, and we're ready to talk some hoops and get ready for pretty much A-10 play at this point. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's, it's a pretty exciting time in the college basketball season. We're, you know, winding down uh, in terms of the non-conference schedule. Some schools around the country have actually gotten a couple conference games in, so we're, we're starting to see some of those shake out. But, you know, right at the end of this month is when we're going to see pretty much all 32 conferences uh, go into full swing in conference play, including the Atlantic 10. But as non-conference play finishes up, we're really starting to get an idea of how all the A-10 teams, how the beginning of all their seasons is not only going to help themselves and help them get some wins, but help the Atlantic 10 as a whole stand out against other conferences, you know, when it comes time for, you know, the, the council of selection Sunday to, to work on who's getting an auto bid, who's in, who's out, and how many bids the Atlantic 10 is going to be getting this year. So before we give our midseason bid predictions, Anthony, as a whole, I mean, how would you evaluate the A-10's performance in conference play so far this year? Did they meet your expectations? Were they right where you thought they were going to be? Or do you think some teams might have missed the mark a little bit? Yeah. So I think there's always going to be teams who missed the mark, and and there sure are. And, I, you know, one team that comes to mind is VCU in the sense that they're clearly a good team. But with injuries, it has taken them back a little bit. And they're just, you know, they had great non-conference scheduling. And But when you don't have a full team, you're just not going to be able to compete to the level where everyone expects you. Um, another team is St. Louis. The injury to uh, Perkins just doesn't help your case um, when you're trying to beat tough non-conference teams. But what I will say is we've had some delightful surprises. Dayton comes to mind. I mean, there's no bigger win than the Dayton win against Kansas. That was awesome to see. And so, I mean, even if we even look at teams like LaSalle and St. Joe's, I mean, that's who I specialize in, but LaSalle beats the University of Pennsylvania. That's a nice little win. That's not going to make the highlights of every, you know, fan of the A-10. But for LaSalle fans, that's a great feeling to have. Like, hey, we just beat a really a really solid team. Penn always is a good program. Ivy League team, um, always at the top of the Ivy. So that's a good win that we can feel good about. Um showing us a team maybe lower on the wrong, making progress in the right direction. St. Joe's beating Temple, that's another example. I'd like to see St. Bonaventure beat UConn, but UConn's a really good team and St. Bonaventure kept it close and I don't think that's a a loss that hurts them in the end. So I think we're kind of all over the place, which is where I expected us to be, to be honest. Yeah, it's really hard to evaluate specifically that UConn UConn win over St. Bonaventure. I mean, as much as I... I think everyone, uh, all fans at the A-10 were hoping for St. Bonaventure to pull off the win. Uh, you know, last a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with Jack Milko, who, you know, specialized in bombings for us. And there was going to be a big, that drew a big crowd uh, to the Prudential Center in, in terms of Bonnie fans in the area. But, you know, considering that Kyle Lofton uh, was injured and did, did not play, I mean, the fact that they kept it close, I think, uh, looks great for that program and for the A-10. And I'm glad that you bring up Dayton because to me, they might be one of the biggest uh, enigmas in terms of their, their non-conference resume. Cause you look at their, you look at their uh, schedule and it seems like they've got some pretty rough losses early on, uh, you know, U- UMass Lowell, Lipscomb, 
And then you've also got that loss uh, the second year in a row, might I add, to uh, SMU as part of that. I, they must have made like some sort of home and away deal. But uh, then you look at their ESPN events, um, their, their their performance at the ESPN events invitational, and they you know they won the whole thing, beating number four Kansas uh, along the way. What what does that kind of up and down resume say about Dayton right now as a program? I think well, for me, it, it's indicative of a lot of freshmen on the team, a lot of younger guys. Like that, just gonna, it's going to happen, and when they do pull off the big win that's them flashing their talent and showing, you know, look, we're, we're going to be formidable. And as we, as most teams have seen with the freshmen on their squad, I'm pretty sure as the season goes on, freshmen become way more reliable. Uh, For example, for me, I think of Jordan Hall, who's now like the top player in the A-10 in my eyes. But when he first showed up at St. Joe's, he was coming off the bench. Um, It takes a full season for freshmen to really find their legs and, and really, you know, understand where to position on the court. How many times do we watch freshmen and they just make the wrong read on a play, throw the ball out of bounds. There's no one standing there. Those are just freshman um, jitters. You could call it freshman mistakes. It's just like, you're going to get the rhythm. You're going to get the feel. Um, and so when they do click or when it does click, it's just like, Oh my gosh, it's like, this is, this, they're as good as advertised. Like this Dayton recruiting class is that good. Um, it's just find that consistency. That's kind of, you know, my take on it. And so, you know, with, with that resume, I mean, do you think, uh, you know, even though they've, they've had to overcome those jitters and, you know, continuing on, they, they ended up getting that win against uh, Virginia Tech this weekend. Do you think their current non-conference resume uh, would be enough to get them an automatic, uh, or sorry, an at-large bid in the uh, NCAA tournament? Probably not. I just think those losses are too, it, it's tough because those are, I mean, I don't know much about the quads. I'm going to be the first person to be honest about it, but if you're losing the teams that are that, you know, especially if you start touching teams that are in 200 range of Kempom and things like that, like it just doesn't help your case. And when these power five schools get into conference play with one another, they just, I mean, it's unfair in the sense that they're not. So usually they're not better than the top three teams of the Atlantic 10, because we just go in there and we will upset them. But, you know, it's like they play each other and they justify their rank for at large bids by just saying like, Hey, we won five big 10 games this year. Um, I mean, this is why these, these conferences rush to conference play. We're already, you know, for the big East and uh, for the big 10, we're having games already for in conference play. It's like they're rushing to play each other. So they don't have to, I mean, that's how they justify their at large bids as they hog them all. So it's just that much harder for, for schools of the a 10, especially when you have like really tough losses. Yeah, of course. And, you know, so going into, going into a 10 play, um, you know, I feel like there are plenty of schools that are kind of on the fringe of, of an at-large bid. They might just need a couple wins. You know, I think maybe now that we're entering A-10 play, St. Bonaventure, school, uh, St. Louis, maybe even Davidson as well, considering, you know, they've, they've gotten off to a very hot start, 7-2. and two. Getting some wins from those guys in conference play, you know, might be uh, what a lot of those, you know, what, what a Dayton, what a Richmond might need to kind of get into that conversation. Maybe not just for an at-large NCAA tournament bid, but maybe, you know, something for the NIT, uh, the CBI. And so uh, I feel like on the first episode of the podcast for the season, we, we talked about the A-10 being a two-bid league. As non-conference play winds down, what, what's your what's your prediction for how many bids the A-10 is going to be getting this year? Yeah. So I just want to say one thing. I was You just mentioned Davidson. We really got to talk about, I just want to mention them for one quick second. Um, of course. They almost got that win against San Francisco. I think if they have that win against San Francisco, 
Um, and they're what that would make them a one loss team. They have seven wins that become eight and one or whatever. Like then we're, we might actually be talking three bid in the sense that Davidson St. Bonaventure could be making a run for an at large. And then you just got to hope someone else wins the tournament. I think that's always the formula for three. So I'm just going to say it's still the, de- the defaults too. St. Bonaventure doesn't win the A-10 tournament and Davidson wins it or um, Dayton wins it. That's our scenario for two bid league. Um, if St. Bonaventure, which they are the best team in the conference right now, if they win the, if the, if they win the A-10, then it's a one bid league. So. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, it's funny that you mentioned that about Davidson because actually on the last episode, uh, it was something that I, I really wanted to talk about with Daniel and Jack because, you know, I've, I've been watching A-10 basketball for a long time, and every time I get a chance to see a Davidson non-conference game, I think to myself, man, this team is is so good. I mean, they move the ball so well. Uh, Bob McKillop has always been able to train, you know, and develop these excellent shooters, uh, excellent guard play, like you've seen a lot uh, around the A-10. Um but they're, they, they're, they've always been missing something. And I, I can't figure out what it is that they're missing. But there's always just one or two bad losses that in, in non-conference play that keep Davidson from getting to that next level. You know what I mean? And, and keep them from being a consistent uh, tournament contender. So, you know, I know you specialize in kind of the Philly-based A-10 teams. But is there anything that you see in Davidson's play that kind of keeps them from getting to that next level? You know, I think about um, how hard it is to find good centers for small schools. It is so difficult. I'm not saying that Davidson, um, you know, needs to have a killer center, and I'm sure they've had good center play before in their past, but I'm just going to use St. Joe's example. Educa Obina comes in for St. Joe's, having a real seven-footer stand in the middle. Even if they only score 10 points a game, that's like the difference before A-10 schools to make the leap to being great. Look at St. Bonaventure, right? With Oshuni has this like great lockdown anchor in the middle of the court. Someone where if your defender gets by you, you have that like break in the back. That's going to stop that, that easy basket from happening. And I think that for a lot of teams in the A-10, not just Davidson, but when they, when you try to make that jump to being in that top 25 talk, usually size is what starts to come into play. Cause when you play these top 10 programs, the only one that's like small is maybe Villanova, but everyone else, like we played USC St. Joe's did the size is unreal. These play, these guys are like, they're full grown men. They're just way more developed. I don't know. I don't know how they do it. I mean, that's just the benefit for being that good, but I think that's, you know, that's something that you really need to take into play. You can have all the skill, but sometimes that size physicality, it, it really can make you take the jump. No, that's a great point. And aside from, you know, being able to just get those guys to those schools, uh, you know, the ACCs, the SECs, the Big Tens of the world, not only are they able to get those guys in, but then they're also able to grow them, you know, physically and as players, you know, with, I mean, uh, of course, it just comes down to money. I mean, it comes down <laughs> world to world-class facilities, yeah. The bigger weight room, uh, the more experienced trainers, you know, they're, they're getting paid more money. So they're going to be, <laughs> they're going to be a lot better at their jobs. No offense to anybody, maybe in the uh, Davidson athletic <laughs> department, but it's, it, it's, it's, it's really what it comes down to. And I think uh, it's something that I've seen uh, as well covering Fordham this year, of course, you know, one of the biggest tra- departing transfers from Fordham this year was uh, Joel Soriano from Fordham to St. John's. And uh, when Fordham played St. John's at Carneseca uh, a couple weeks ago, Soriano completely took command of the low post. 
I mean, the Chuba Ohams like had plenty of plenty of room to you know get in and have a, have a great game offensively. But I mean, whenever Ohams is not on the court, uh, you know, Soriano just completely shut down the paint, and I, it was just something where I thought to myself, man, if this guy stayed. Fordham might have had the complete package uh, in terms of just being a, a really good team and a, and a possibly competitive team in the A-10 this year. So, I mean, it's definitely not just Davidson problem as 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 we described. It's it's an A-10, A-10 problem yeah. and a and a mid major problem essentially. Yeah, but I will say this about Davidson real quick. I mean, they got that game against Loyola Chicago. They could still, you know, you win that game, your resume looks a little bit better than you do really really well in conference play. I don't, there's still a chance. I'm a believer in them. I mean. They're always a contender. So, yeah, and of course, I don't, I mean, of course, only time will tell. So, so right now, as it stands, a two bid league, who's, who's getting those bids? Who's getting that automatic bid and who's getting that at large bid? Oh, I think it's St. Bonaventure. And then for a conference win, I think it's Dayton. I think they really do make a push through the, if it's, if it's not Dayton, then it's maybe Davidson. But I, I really think Dayton, they could be turning it on. And, and, you know, they might have gotten over some of those hiccups in the beginning and, and might really be a legitimate team. Is there anything about roadie that you like? I mean, of course, you know, we've, we've yet to see conference play, but I mean, uh, as it stands, they're they're eight and three right now. And I feel like Mikel Mitchell has just been, you know, speaking of, you know, good forwards. I mean, he's, he's had a pretty solid season himself. Yeah, I mean. I, I'm going to be the first one to admit, maybe Sam, you can take a run with this. I don't know enough about Rhode Island to make a comment on it. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm going to be the first one to say that. And so, yeah, I'll seat the floor on that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if they'll, they'll be, it'll be enough. I mean, they'll have to get, I don't, I don't, I don't see them getting an at-large bid, but I, I do think that they could be one of those teams that could make some noise uh, in the Atlantic 10 this year. But of course we'll just have to see. So I guess my, my picks are going to be uh, Bonnie's, and then maybe Dayton could uh, steal a bid. And so moving on to kind of a bit more specific part of our podcast, uh, something that we haven't really been able to talk about since probably the first episode, which is, you know, the A-10's presence in Philly, specifically with St. Joe's and LaSalle. Anthony, of course, you're a, a St. Joe's alumnus yourself. You, you, you've covered both teams uh, for the website. In the second year uh, with St. Joe's basketball, under Billy Lang, there was there was some excitement uh, despite their record in the A-10 tournament uh, with Ryan Daly. They kind of made a bit deeper of a run that they were supposed to. And heading into this year, I mean they they've been pretty they've been pretty solid. I mean six and four. They've gotten some good wins against Temple and Penn. And you know Jordan Hall has has been off to a pretty solid start. So you know as as a St. Joe's fan and someone who covers St. Joe's basketball, what are what are your thoughts on this program? Yeah. And I'm going to add the Georgetown win too. I know a lot of people yeah. at first were trying to discredit it, but I'm going to take a big East win any day of the week. Um, first of all, it's like what I was thinking about the other day was how we used to last year, everyone would just watch it on television in the sense that we couldn't go to the games and everyone was, Oh, you know, six, eight, I hear you six, eight, but what does six, eight look like in real life? Man, Jordan Hall's legitimately six, eight. He is that big. Um, the only thing that you would like to see is him to get actually bigger in the shoulders or anything like that. But Jordan Hall's scoring has been legitimate. He's done it against real teams. The only game he struggled was USC. And I think it was because he was trying to do too much for everyone else. Um, but against Villanova, he was able to score when Taylor Funk went quiet against Temple. He led the charge against Penn. He led the charge. He was player of the week for the Atlantic 10. Um, he is top 10 in scoring, which that's not even his main thing. He does. He's second in assists only to Yuri Collins, who had a 19 game assist um, 
performance the other night, which Yuri Collins, that was insane. Got to give a shout out to that guy. But Jordan Hall has been second in the conference in assists. His three-point percentage shooting is 38%. He's 42% from the field, legitimate 6'8", real NBA body. And he's a leader now. And that was the thing we were always worried about was, can this guy take over the locker room? Taylor Funk is the silent leader. That guy is always um, yelling at guys, yelling. When I say yelling, I mean getting them amped, you know, holding them accountable. Like he's the leader. But Jordan Hall is starting to become that more and more. I'm at every game um, in person. And the way that Jordan has flipped the switch, they they had two tough losses against Drexel and Mammoth, which are looking like better losses as the time goes on. Um, but after those two tough heartbreakers, people booing, screaming for Billy Lang to get fired, um, you know, they kind of flipped it around. And I think it was really because Jordan Hall, you know, calmed down, made the right decisions and knew that if the play's not there, he can rely on his teammates. And the whole team is kind of clicked as a unit. All the starters are just hitting on all their cylinders. And it's a good time. St. Joe's is finally back on the rise. And so how would you evaluate? I mean, you mentioned those after those two losses, the fans were pretty angry. And so it, so it seemed like a bit of a, you know, a tough atmosphere to play in, even as the home team. How would you evaluate that atmosphere now as someone, you know, who goes to every home game? The Temple game was the most packed I've seen Hagen in a while. Um, there's very few games where I think, wow, like we're, we're filled up all the way down the stretch. Um, both ends are filled up. The student section was almost full, but it's finals week. So the tip, the top was not as packed, but Hagen was pretty crowded a Saturday night. Saw a ton of alumni when I was there. Um, that I knew from my age, which is always great to see kids my age who are 25, 26 coming to the games. I felt like that Temple game, where people were standing up. They were cheering. There were a couple of Temple fans in Hagen Arena. It's a local game. St. Joe's fans banding together, kicking them out, giving them the boot, yelling at them in the stands. It was great. That's the Philly basketball atmosphere we know and love. Um, it was just great to see. And I, f- I feel like that Temple game was really like the climax of, of what Hagen should be every year. The only times I've ever seen it that crowded are Nova games. So this Temple game was really a nice change of pace. And I was glad to see a lot of people there, especially because um, Penn was a little bit of a letdown. Not as many people at the Penn game. That was during the week. So, Yeah. And so speaking of that atmosphere, that's something I really wanted to talk about because, you know, doing research for the show, I was uh, reading about the concept of, you know, the big five uh, in Philly, which was something that was that was really interesting to me because I've never really seen anything uh like it before in in any other city uh i, I mean you know, you know being someone from new york not only someone who went to florida but, you know someone from the from the new york area uh it's always i've always found the inter nyc matchups uh in college basketball some of my favorite games to watch of course fordham st john's but then you've got schools like manhattan columbia wagner earlier a couple of weeks ago when i when i was uh at the post game for uh fordham st francis I, I said to I said to Coach Neptune, you guys are now three and two uh, against New York City based schools uh, this season in non conference play. Is that something that you guys can kind of take as a small victory for uh, for the season? And while he said it was great to get those wins, uh, you know, Fordham is not really one of those schools that wants to focus on who they're playing. Uh, they just want to focus on you know getting the win no matter whether or not they're playing a New York school, a Philly school, or an LA school. And while I, I understand that mindset. I was a little disappointed by it. You know, I just maybe as a Fordham fan myself, you know, you kind of want that, that those bragging rights around the city. So as someone who went to school, went to school in Philly, um, how important is that to both the fans 
and the team to get wins within the big five. Yeah. I mean, I think it's everything. Um, I've, I've been on this show and noted saying that I care more about the big five sometimes than I do about the Atlantic 10. Sorry. I mean, we've won two Atlantic 10 titles in between the time we've beaten Villanova since the last, like that's how much harder it's just like a, it's a much harder goal to do. Um, if you look back on the history of how good Temple was for 20 years under Cheney, how good Villanova has been under two of their NCAA winning championship coaches. Um, and it, it's always been tough. And that's what makes it great. It's like even the Penn game, you think it's always oh, some Ivy League school. It's like, no, Penn's got a history of winning and they're not going to, you know, whether it was under Dumphy or not. But like the, each one of these schools has had a great coach who has in their time dominated the eight, uh, the big five, sorry, excuse me, for some point. And that just adds to the rivalry because while Villanova is at the top of the chain, I like to think that Jay Wright's 60 years old and he's not going to be there 15 years from now. I like to hope for my sake, for my sanity. Um, and at that point, maybe it's LaSalle dominating and we just don't know. And Drexel all of a sudden wants to be a member of the city six, who knows if we ever open it to them, but if they keep getting better, I mean, they beat St. Joe's two years in a row. I mean, they want to be a part of it. So it's everything. Everyone wants to be in it. Teams want to force their way into it because when, when just like that, I just said that temple game, people were there and they were rowdy. Like it's so much fun. Like, I was sitting, my friend was sitting next to a temple guy and it's like the fact that they were just bickering back and forth the whole game just made it that much more fun. And I loved every minute of it. And I loved when that guy had to stand up when they were down 20 points and leave and everyone had to wave goodbye to him. Like that was so much fun. Like that's what makes it great. It's like, I want, I want there to be heat and rivalry and I want people to be salty because that's just, that's what makes it better for the next year and the next year. So yeah, of course. I mean, you know, that's that's almost probably that's that's probably one of the better parts of the of of rivalries like this, right? I mean, almost more so than the than the actual games when they're played is you know that lead up to ah, uh, you know, we we almost had you guys last year and we got to get you guys this year. And so with with all these fans, of course, the a lot of the fan base is concentrated in the respective schools. Um, something that I feel like New York college teams have a hard time with is the fact that, you know, it's hard to maybe get fans that are outside of the immediate circle of those schools when you're playing in the same city as, you know, the Knicks, the Nets, the Mets, the Yankees. Um, do you feel like Philly schools struggle with that? I mean, do you think, you know, it's hard for a casual Philly sports fan to care about Temple when, uh, you know, the 76ers are playing in the same city? Well, with the situation that Ben Simmons is in, I like to think that this is no better time for Sixers fans to turn off terrible professional basketball and tune in to St. Joe's, LaSalle, Penn, Villanova, all those teams. Um, you know, I, I'll say this. I had a friend text me. He did not go to any university in the area. His father did not go to universe at like college at all. And he's texting me, go, yeah, my dad's going to the uh, St. Joe's GW game on whatever. I'm like, who would have thought he's a casual fan. He actually gave me the book. I have the St. Joe's book somewhere. It's not, not with me right now. Um, his father is the one who gave it to me. He's like casual fan didn't go. Oh, it's right here. Actually. You can see it. Um, okay. Casual fan doesn't go, didn't go to college. And yet he's going to St. Joe's games followed St. Joe's. Um, I, I think people still do. It's not ever going to be above professional sports, especially when the Eagles are playing, but people do care. People check in. They want to make sure that it's happening. And then, the, the, the default fan is a Villanova fan, unfortunately. They're the worst. They drive Range Rovers. They have finance. They dress like finance bros. Um, they wear Chelsea boots. But 
um, the average fan who didn't go to Villanova but wants to cheer for a college team will to cheer for Villanova. So Villanova is the default status and then everyone else is loyal to their brand. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I can, I can understand that frustration because even though, you know, I went to Fordham, I'm, I'm definitely a Fordham fan. I did grow up a St. John's fan. So I do have that bad blood for uh, Villanova being in the big East. And, and honestly, any, any time I see, uh, I, I feel like the go-to outfit is, you know, khakis, uh, maybe a, a, a blue checkered uh, like dress shirt. And oh, yeah. that, that Villanova sweater vest, uh, it like invokes this rage inside of me that I can't even describe. Um, yeah, the wine I'm and sure cheese, the wine and cheese club. Yeah, exactly, exactly, with the loafers, and it's just you know I, I I can't even I can't even describe, you know how how frustrated it makes me to see that. But in terms of the Big Five, uh, you know specifically with St. Joe's. What is their ceiling this year? Is it higher than you expected? Uh, you know, is, are they going to have a much better conference record that you uh, might have predicted heading into this season? Sure. So I'll be the first to my own horn. Um, I'm usually right about things. And the first thing I was right about was people were sleeping on St. Joe's. And I still think they're sleeping on St. Joe's. Um, when George Mason got off to a hot, a hot start, good for them. They beat Maryland. That, w- that was great for them. Like, I'm happy for you. Um but now they've kind of fallen back down to earth. And I think St. Joe's is on the ascent. Um, I think St. Joe's finds itself in the midst right now of Mason and UMass. Um, UMass is like, their defense is like, a I don't even understand the numbers, <laughs> how they win these games. But UMass has some good wins. They beat Rutgers. Um, but that's the tier they're in right now. And I think the tier can go higher. Taylor Funk is either second, third, or first team. Well, probably not first team, but he's either second or third team all A-10. Jordan Hall is probably going to be first team all A-10, I think. Um, And I'll stand by that prediction if I'm wrong. And Eduke Obina could be third team all A-10. The guy is that good. He's scoring 16 points a game. He's rebounding a ton. St. Joe's is second in the conference in rebounds right now. All of a sudden, their size is unreal. And Jordan Hall and Taylor Funk are a part of that rebounding effort as well. All three of them just are really good rebounders. The size is there. The shooting numbers are there. Um, Taylor Funk is shooting well above 40% from three. Jordan Hall is at 38%, which is a healthy number for anyone playing basketball. Educa scores so well in the paint. The pick and roll is coming together. The alley-oops are great. And the only question for St. Joe's is, what does the rest of the cast do? What can Demir Bishop do? What can Jack Forrest do to get better and to help this team rise to the top? I think they could call me crazy. We might be in a world where we we're talking about a double buy for St. Joe's. Am I going to stay by stand by that? No, I still think the, the, the goal for the season was 500. That's a step in the right direction. That always was the goal. I still think it's going to be a 500 record, but with the way I've seen these guys play and the talent and the size, nothing would surprise me. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they went out there and they won a good amount of their eight, 10 games. And all of a sudden they're talking about being in the top six of the league and, and fighting for, very valuable buys in the conference tournament. Wow. I mean, so, you know, everyone listening, you've heard it first. I mean, if, if they, if St. Joe's has a run like that, I mean, Anthony was the first to say it. I, I'm genuinely surprised by that. I mean, I know what St. Joe's can do. I mean, we've, we've seen it before and I think we can see it again, but I always thought uh, of them to be, you know, one of those teams that is in the pillow fight, you know, kind of that 10 to 14 range uh, come tournament time, but, you know, still, can get maybe one or two wins uh, in, in, in the tournament play. But I mean, that's 
that's a pretty lofty goal uh, for, for St. Joe's to hit. I mean, like, look at the teams they've beaten. I mean, they've beaten yeah. Temple. They've beaten Georgetown. Um, their two losses are the top 10 programs in the country. So no one has those losses on their schedule. And the other two are to Monmouth, which is climbing up, up, up and away. And Drexel, which is maybe two in the second team in the Colonial because James Madison is just having an unbelievable year. So I don't think it's that crazy. The losses are naturally pretty solid and the wins are right there where they're beating the seven through five range of the A-10. If you win those games, you know, that's that's in your favor to some degree. And the other person I'm going to mention super quick is Eric Reynolds. No one's really talking about him. Freshman at at St. Joe's, very good, very quick first step. And he has solved a lot of their half-court offensive issues. So take it with you, Will. Um, I still think the goal is eight and eight, but I'm sure many people are going to be surprised by that prediction. And so looking at St. Joe's schedule, I mean, before maybe the conference tournament starts, a team like that, you know, if, if they want to make a deep run in the tournament, they might, they might want to steal, you know, a couple regular season games in conference play. Uh, they play St. Bonaventure away. They play Davidson at home on January 5th, uh, as well as uh, Dayton at home on February 19th. I mean, you know, do you think maybe the home crowd could, you know, kind of help, help push them to a win? I mean, do you think uh, those games are, might be closer than some people might think? I mean, we beat Dayton last year yeah. um, and Dayton actually struggles against St. Joe's. There's like a history of Dayton struggling against St. Joe's a little bit. So that's a winnable game. And Davidson, I mean, Billy Lang beat Davidson two years ago in Davidson. So, and that was a way worse team for St. Joe's. So that's possible. I mean, it's conference play. These games are going to be, you know, stealable for me. Like if you look back at the A-10 predictions, I think I said George Mason and St. Joe's would split the series. I still stand by that. I think they're going to split the series. Um, and then you put in those steel games. I think Rhode Island is winnable for St. Joe's. I think UMass is winnable for St. Joe's. Um, the ones that really scare me as a fan of St. Joe's is VCU. They just play hard. And I don't think we match up to their style of play. And I think they're a better team all around, um, especially as their players get healthy. Um, I don't think we're going to beat St. Bonaventure. And I think St. Louis is another team that's just, they're just better. Those aren't games we're going to steal as easily. I'll be shocked if we do. But I think the the Dayton um, the Rhode Island, the Davidson games are very much up for play. Those teams will be favored, but as you said, being at home does help. Yeah, and especially uh, another another game that I I, I want to get your opinion on is Richmond. I think that's how they open uh, conference yeah. play this year on on December thirtieth. Uh, Richmond has always been a weird team to me, uh, especially especially this season. I mean, with Chris Mooney. I mean, considering how old uh, his his teams have been. Uh, I don't know. They've, they've always never been able to, you know, meet, meet a lot of the expectations, especially last season. So, I mean, do you, do you like St. Joe's against Richmond? That's a tough one. Richmond's got good size. Um, they could defend against educate where that's where we start all of our offenses, get educate the ball, have them score some back to the basket, you know, points, get six, eight points. And then all of a sudden they back off the three point line from a defensive standpoint. And that just gives St. Joe's like the green light to shoot. Um, what I'll, but I'll say this about Richmond that actually worries me more. Jordan Hall is still prone to turnovers, and Eric Reynolds is a freshman when he's handling the ball. So he's making those freshman mistakes we talked about. And Jacob Gilliard is a steel machine. And if St. Joe's isn't careful, it's going to get ugly quickly because of those turnovers. Um, we beat Temple and we turned the ball over like seven to 10, 17 to 10, I think, or something like that. Like that's going to be even worse with 
the all times NCA steals leader on the other side of the court. So um, I still think Richmond should be favored, but if St. Joe's wins, it's because they took care of the ball um, and kept Gilliard out of their way. Of course. And I mean, that's, that, that, that sounds like it's going to be a great matchup. And so of course, moving on to our next uh, Philly based Atlantic 10 team, uh, the LaSalle Explorers. I feel like even as recent as maybe two or three weeks ago, uh, the vibe around the Sal fans was just maybe at an all, at probably one of the lowest points I've, I've seen. Uh, they were they were, I think they were the only a 10 team to not win on opening night, uh, 13 out of 14 teams. And then LaSalle lost in overtime to sacred heart. Uh, they only scored 46 points against Villanova in a 72 46 loss. Uh, but you know, they've strung together three decent wins against Holy Cross, Fairleigh Dickinson, and Penn, and now they're five and four. Do you think this might just be, you know, they're hitting an easy pocket of the schedule, or do you think Ashley Howard's kind of figuring out his team and his and his team is figuring out, you know, themselves and each other? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, against who against Villanova, it was like no ball movement, every man for himself. But that's Villanova. They're just going to do that to you. They're they're going to suffocate you as a, as an offense. I think the pen win, we can all look at that and go, good win for LaSalle. Like, hang that up. That's a good win. Don't complain about it. Let's not scrutinize it too much. <clears throat> for where this team is, um, from a talent perspective, there's just no, the offense is just not there. They don't have the type of players that St. Joe's does. And that's what always differentiated me. It's like, yes, these two teams struggle, especially last year. But when they faced each other, you could tell St. Joe's just had players a little more talented, um, players who could score a lot easier than what LaSalle can. Um, Josh Nickelberry, he's really good. Um, he he had no problem um, leading the charge for the team against Villanova to some degree. And then Jameer Brookes is also um, a very good player as well. I think to some degree, it is an easy stretch of the season. Um, however, I think it's a balanced schedule for non-conference. I, I think I wrote a piece about that back in September. Um, so I think LaSalle fans should feel okay. I don't think they're the worst team in the conference. I was actually looking at our power rankings. They're, they've been around 13th for us for, um, for the A-10 talk power rankings, which I think is appropriate. Don't think they're better than Duquesne. Don't think they're better than Fordham. Um, I think Ashley Howard is, for people who don't know, you just got to understand LaSalle is like a tough school to, to just go to school at. Not a very big campus, bad part of town. It's just hard. And they, they're just, the facilities are not, the same. Um, so even with all those hardships, especially for recruiting standpoint, it could be a lot worse for LaSalle. I think that's, that's the way you got to look at it. And so you said, you, you mentioned their offense, not really being there. Uh, you still don't think it's where it needs to be right now. Yeah. You know, one that bothers me is like Clifton Moore. Um, you know, he's got such great size. Like he's a legitimate center. I know he's listed out as a forward, but he's six ten. And he's a defensive machine. He can block shots like no tomorrow. I've seen it in person. He, I mean, I really wish he could score a little bit more efficiently than just off pick and rolls or cuts to the basket. Like, I mean, it's so hard to say, oh, develop a post game and just start learning how to back down and how to, you know, shimmy and do all the things that great centers know how to do and fake a defender out um, and just know your footwork, just have really good footwork down low. Easier said than done. But he had he has such potential for that. I mean, he he went to a big time school, transferred out of it, um, has the, the raw talent, the raw athleticism. Um, 
would just love to see him develop into like a legitimate post scorer where you're scoring 10 points on, you just know, you, you know, your positions, you know, your shots. Um, I think that's for me, the piece that's missing because Jameer Brickus, Josh Nickelberry, you know, they're explosive players. You set a pick for them. They can get to the rim. If it's the right type of um, team that they're playing, not Villanova, but like a, you know, a team on their caliber, but what makes you that much more potent or lethal is that second option that you can dish to. Um, so that's what I think they're missing in their offense. Of course. And so with, with Ashley Howard, I mean, you mentioned that he's kind of fighting an uphill battle with, uh, you know, the, the facilities, you know, the location of the school. Um, if, if LaSalle kind of doesn't, you know, they don't really get it together by, uh, by conference play, you know, they might, they, they don't really make it out of the pillow fight in the conference is this a season where Ashley Howard might have to feel like he's playing or sorry, not playing, he's coaching for his job. Or do you think, you know, given, given the situation, the school is going to give him a bit more leeway and a bit more time to, to, you know, kind of, kind of get things together. Yeah. I think the school is giving is, will give him Lee like leeway. will give him that little space to operate. Do I agree with it? Um, quite frankly, I don't. Um, if you're LaSalle, the only way you're going to win is if you implement a certain style of basketball in the sense that you pick a system and you stick with it. Jim Beheim's teams don't get the best recruits all the time because Syracuse runs a 2-3 zone or whatever zone they run, and some players don't want to play in that zone. Okay, that means you're sacrificing getting top recruits. However, we're talking about Syracuse every March because the system works and teams don't know how to play against it, and there's a little bit of a method to the madness. I would have loved Ashley Howard if he came in and modified and entered and put when he entered placed in a modified Princeton, have a smart power forward running the team from the top of the key with players cutting around good ball handling movement, uh, ball handlers who are moving as well with the ball backdoor cuts, open threes. That's that figure eight motion in the half court with that center holding the ball and finding the right player. It's a hard system to implement. You got to have smart players to run that. But that's the way you beat teams like Villanova. And I know we're, we're going back to the big five, but it's a big five team and that's the goal. Um, same, the issue with St. Joe's with LaSalle, we're, we're, when we, we're trying to be too much like Villanova, we're zigging with them when we should be zagging and we should be going a different direction. St. Joe's had the Dr. Jack Ramsey tree and they pulled from that tree and that was a different style of coaching than whatever Villanova was doing. And that's what gave them a chance was Villanova was doing something one way. Temple was doing it one way. St. Joe's was doing it a different way. Um, but now it's like the big five. It's everyone's like, let's just do it the Villanova way. And you can't do it the Villanova way when you're not Villanova. And so you're not a fan. You're not a fan of the Jay Wright four out. I just don't think it's these coaches can't implement it. They yeah. just they haven't implemented it. I'm sure if, if you there's someone who could, but these guys can't. And I just think there are better options out there from an offensive style. Um, and once again, I just don't believe that being a copycat is what's going to is going to beat you. You know, that's not going to beat another team is, is copying their style. Play pick your own style and pick a system. That way you're not reliant on trying to get, you know, you're LaSalle played Villanova. It's like one-on-one talent. Like, oh, we're going to go one-on-one with Villanova. We're not going to move the ball. And we're going to have Josh Nickelberry try to take on Colin Gillespie. What? <laughs> like, that's not going to happen. So that's why I'm saying, like, pick your own system. Stick to it. You're never going to out-recruit Villanova. So let's outsmart them. Let's put in that better system of play and just be known for it um, because it works for teams that 
you know, might not be flashy in January, but man, we're talking about them every March. Of course. And so, you know, there's still time for LaSalle to work out the kinks this season. I mean, you, you know, you've got, you've got 18 conference games to play and then you've got a whole tournament to play. Um, do you see them getting it together by, uh, by March or do you kind of see this team uh, continuing to struggle and maybe go through a lot of growing pains? Yeah, I think the growing pains. Um, one player I really love is Christian Ray. He plays so scrappy. He's a great player. Um, clearly a leader on the team to some degree. He's been around for three years now. Um, would love to see him, you know, rally the team for the Explorers, and maybe they come out with six conference wins. I think that that would be a reasonable goal for them. Um, does it happen? Oof, that's going to be tough to do. I think they it's just a lot harder to score for them um, from an offensive standpoint. And so I think it's going to be a rough, rough conference play. Um Guess what? They they're probably going to steal a game against St. Joe's. It happens every year. So those wins are still going to be on the table for for LaSalle. It's just um, you know, how many of those upset opportunities do you actually capitalize on? I mean, last year they did it against Richmond, if I'm not mistaken, but um those were a little more few and far between. Realistic. I I, I think I think that's a, a pretty realistic assessment. Uh maybe, maybe not as as hopeful as a lot of LaSalle fans. Uh, might have wanted, but probably not uh, super surprising uh, as, as uh, you know, being yourself, someone from the area, someone who's, who's followed all those teams. But I mean, you know, I think, I think there's still a lot of time for all, for all of these teams and um, you know, in conference play, I mean, what are the, some of the biggest LaSalle games that you think aside from St. Joe's that they could maybe pull a win from? I think the biggest win that they could pull from so I I would I would say yes, agreed. Take away the St. Joe's win. Um, because that's something they're always fighting for. But I think for LaSalle, it's like if you take care of Duquesne, if you take care of Fordham and George Washington, I know that's this is not gonna be like the crazy answer. I'm I'm not gonna upset predict because I honestly think for LaSalle, it's it's not about matchup, it's about are we hot that day? And I can't predict when they're gonna be hot um in the gym from a shooting perspective. Like that's gonna be the determining factor for LaSalle is like, do they win the game? Oh, they beat, you know, St. Louis. Why? Well, they shot 50% from three and couldn't miss a, a shot. And, you know, Clifton Moore was just an absolute machine on the defensive end. Um, that wouldn't be surprising to me, but I can't predict those games. So I'm going to say this about the non-conference. LaSalle should expect to beat Duquesne and Fordham if they really do think the team is good. Um, or where it's a respectable program. No offense to you, Sam. Fordham's a really good team. I'm actually not saying that because I think Fordham's bad. But that's the only winnable game for LaSalle, and that's the problem, right? When you find yourself at the bottom, it's like, oh, we got to hope that we beat Duquesne this year, or we got to hope we beat Fordham. Um, you know, they're, oh, we consider them a bottom 14, but it's like in reality, in, in just one year alone, Fordham has made such a jump that LaSalle has struggled to do for the last six years. So it, that's kind of like a harsh reality to come to, but... Um, you know, that's, that's kind of where they find themselves. No. And I, I think, I think Fordham finds themselves in the same position. Um, you know, I, my, my preseason in, in that big uh, a 10 talk preseason uh, prediction piece that, that we all collaborated on, I put Fordham at six and 12 in, in conference play. And, you know, after, after the non-conference uh, you know, record that they've, that they've racked up so far, I've been really impressed by this team. They have far and away exceeded a lot of the expectations I've had for them. I think a lot, I, I think a decent amount of their losses this season, honestly, are some that they've, they've, 
definitely let get away from themselves, especially that went from Manhattan. Uh, that I'm sorry, especially that loss to Manhattan, and especially that loss to uh, uh, Maryland Eastern Shore, which is a team uh, I know you've been kind of familiar <laughs> with this season. They seem to be really, you know, one of those one of those A10 spoilers. Yeah, uh, which is something I've always found interesting with the A10. I feel like, um, which I guess is something good when you know when it comes time for uh, selection Sunday. But I feel like the A10 has been pretty good at um, scheduling a lot of similar non-conference opponents. Uh, so we can really kind of get a feel of, as to how these teams compare against each other. But um, for, I mean, <laughs> I kind of went off track there, but, you know, in terms of, you know, who Fordham can beat, even though I think they're a better team than I thought they would have been, their schedule just seems so hard in the conference. Like their performance doesn't make me any more comfortable with them beating St. Bonaventure. Their, their performance this season doesn't make me any more comfortable with them, you know, possibly getting, uh, a win over St. Louis. So like, like how you feel with LaSalle, I feel the same way with Fordham with, we have to win those games against LaSalle. They have to win those games against Duquesne and George Washington. And then we can talk about what their next step in the conference is. And as frustrating as it might be for a fan of a lot of those teams that are in the bottom four, because uh, it, it seems like it's been the same conversation every single year. That's what you have to do if you want to be a good team and be a consistent team in the conference. You have to, you know, go at it gradually and take those steps over time. Because if not, you're just going to be kind of cycling in and out of this this weird, you know, limbo of, of, of mediocrity. Yep. And that's that's where I was with St. Joe's last year. Like, remember, like St. Joe's was terrible last year. And I know that feeling you're heading into conference play and it's like, sheesh who are we going to beat? Like we were struggling to get one win. Um, and then it finally turned on at the end of the season, but yeah, you got to like, now I feel confident as a St. Joe's fan compared to when I, how I view LaSalle. It's like for St. Joe's, it's like, I expect to beat LaSalle. I expect to beat George Washington, Duquesne and Fordham. Like I, I'm assuming that they're going to beat them. Will it happen? I don't know. But as a fan, that's how confident I feel with this team. It's like, you got to take those, those gradual steps. Yeah, and so of course, I mean, a lot of a lot of good stuff coming out of Philly. A lot of good stuff coming out of the eight ten. And so, until next time, uh, you know, Sam Basil, Anthony Morelli, we would just like to thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the A ten Talk podcast. Of course, in the meantime, you can follow myself on Twitter. You can follow Anthony on Twitter and A ten Talk as well. Check out a ten talkcom for all the biggest updates for all of your favorite teams. Uh, you know, in the best conference in college basketball. So we'll see you next time, guys.